Well, how do you feel about the future? What kind of world is your kids going to grow up in? How about your grandkids? Does anybody out there really have confidence in what you see on the Internet? Is there anything in this world you can know for sure? Fortunately, there was a guy that lived some time ago that wrote a letter to answer questions like these from people like us. Uh, good morning, everyone. Pastor Tim here at Faith Community. And it's good to be with you today on this last Sabbath of February. And we're continuing our sermon series called Known, where at the end of the day, we are focused and in hot pursuit of that ultimate question in life. Because once you get past all of the philosophical questions, all the questions of astronomy and science, and, and you run the rainbow and you get to the end, you realize after you've peeled the onion back that the ultimate question in life is, do you know God through Jesus Christ? You know, it was an ordinary day that someone asked me an extraordinary question. And they said, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? I was a teenager at the time, and... I had godly parents. I was raised in the church. Uh, I had lots of fun in life. I had lots of friends. Uh, everything seemed afforded to me. And after all, to think about changing my life of fun and, and to maybe practice some additional tedious religious things was not a great thing I had an appetite for. But it sent me on a time of soul searching, on a journey of pondering that question. And finally one night, I got the answer when the Holy Spirit came into my life. And I firmly placed my life in the hands of God. And I came to use that title of that book that C.S. Lewis wrote years ago to describe his own conversion, Surprised by Joy. For I didn't realize at the time that really what we're talking about here is a relationship with God. Today, we're going to focus here for a few moments today on an, this author's insight found written in a letter some time ago to people in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And this writer here writes this letter so long ago, but it's so relevant for us today. And I want to read to you just a couple verses of Scripture from 1 John today, chapter 5. And I'm going to read from the message translation of the Bible. And hear these words. This is the testimony in essence. God gave us eternal life. The life is in His Son. So whoever has the Son has life. And whoever rejects the Son rejects life. My purpose in writing is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion. You know, I think it's important that you understand the audience here, the original hearers of this message, the recipients of this wonderful letter. These people were about the second or third generation of believers, approximately 50 years or so removed from the life of Christ. A lot had happened since the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord. Jerusalem at that point had fallen to the Romans. The temple had been desecrated, in fact destroyed. The world was now under the thumb of a pagan and secular empire. 
the Jews had been scattered among the nations, the dysphoria, and, and the fledgling Christian church was frequently being misunderstood and often persecuted. And in fact, many of the disciples at that point had been martyred for the faith. And there were perhaps only a few handful of people that were still living that had actually witnessed the life of Christ and some of these miracles and incredible things that had taken place. And now, to beat all, false teaching was infiltrating into the church. And they claimed faith isn't what matters, it's enlightenment, it's wonders, it's truth. It's just mystical kinds of experiences. And they said no one can be sure for standing in relation to God. It was a time when many believers were beginning to doubt their faith. They were wondering if they could count on anything as the world around them seemed to be crumbling and falling apart. Does any of this sound familiar to you? All of these years, we are prone to the same kinds of doubts in our day. There's not a believer joining us today in this time of worship who hasn't questioned their faith at some point. Maybe you've made a commitment to Jesus some time ago, and especially with COVID, your faith right now just feels kind of stale. It's not like this fresh romance and daily walk with Christ, and, and you just have this question in your mind, where you really stand with the Lord? Or maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you have succumbed to some temptation. You made some poor decisions. You've done some things and you're deeply troubled because you realize it's not something that's pleasing to God. And you really doubt where you stand with God. Or maybe today you have recently read a new blog. Or maybe you've heard a podcast or seen a tweet. Or maybe like a lot of people, you have heard a four-minute TED Talk and you think you've got it all together, but somehow you're uh, being intellectually stimulated and really skeptical about your faith. You know, it may seem today that uh, we are in a very challenging situation in our world with a lot of doubt swirling about us in this 21st century postmodernistic kind of time frame. And it seems harder than ever before to really have a firm footing on some truth. A few years ago, Catherine Faust, who was the president, became the president of Harvard University in her inaugural speech she called attention to the crest of the college, which bears that one-word motto of the school, veritas, which in Latin means truth. And she pointed out that that motto originally affirmed the school's quest for eternal truths and unsaleable realities. And then she went on to announce a new understanding of that quest. That truth, she said, isn't aspiration and not a possession. And we challenge those who would embrace such certainties. And we must commit ourselves, she said, to the uncomfortable position of doubt. Now, when the most highly regarded intellectual institution, arguably anywhere in the world, comes out and tells us that you can't know anything for certain, it feels like the ground is giving way beneath you. And if the folks at Harvard don't know anything for sure, what hope is there for the rest of us? Well, fortunately, as I say, this is where and why John's words here 
in this epistle is so vitally important for us. John offers us some assurance. John gives to us some certainty. And John says, I write here so that you may know that you have life eternal. Now notice the word here, know. It's critical in John. In fact, it appears more often in this chapter than almost any other chapter in the New Testament. And there are really a couple of words here for know that you find in the original Greek language. In this verse, most of the time in this chapter, he uses the word uh, to describe the state of knowing rather than the process of knowing. For example, when I say I'm part of the Westchester community, when I say I'm a part of Faith Community Church, I'm declaring something that I know is true beyond the shadow of a doubt. But when I say I know what it means to be a faith community member, that's knowledge that I'm still acquiring. It's knowledge that I'm still growing into. And one kind of know is this complete, this full assurance and has this factual uh, knowledge to it but the other is more progressive, it's more uh, experiential, it's more evolving. While both kinds of knowing are certainly true for the Christian because on the one hand, we still need to be growing into the likeness of Christ. We still need to be progressing and moving on to glorification and sanctification. But there's also what John here is emphasizing, a certain kind of know that today you can know. God's spirit can Bear witness with your spirit, and you can know today, you can have assurance that you are indeed a child of God. Now, what is it that John wants us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt? There's at least three things I would lift up out of this text. First of all, John wants you to know that life eternal is possible. That expression, life eternal, literally means the life of the ages. In other words, a life for this age and the age to come. Sometimes we talk about eternal life as, as if it's some type of ticket that you get when you board the Polar Express and, and they punch your ticket and you put it in your pocket and that's something at the end of your life that you can pull out and you're going to continue living on. But no, that's not really here what the scripture is bearing out, that this life eternal can begin for you now. The word eternal speaks to both the quantity and the quality of life. Eternal life is longer in that it is forever, but it's also deeper in that it encompasses the full range of all human potentiality. And eternal life is real. We were created for it. We were created to live and to live long. And in fact, in the original language here in verse 12, John doesn't just refer to it as life, but as the life. Whoever has the son has the life, suggesting that any other kind of life falls well short. So the first thing John wants you to know here is that eternal life is possible. A second thing that John wants you to know here is that to know uh, Jesus, that this life is found in him. It's not something we find deep within ourselves. It's not some type of pantheistic kind of thinking that it's out here in some object in the world. It's not something we find here and there. But no, Jesus brought this life to us when he came and lived among us. And he showed us what it means to live life in relationship to God and 
and really for the good of others. And the world had never truly seen what it was like to live this way until Jesus came and demonstrated it, until he came and died on the cross and became that substitute for our sin. And so logically, the only place to find real life anywhere in this world, John says, is in Jesus and the third thing here that John says to us is he wants us to know, if you have Jesus, then you have life. Now, that's really an interesting way to put it, isn't it? I mean, having Jesus means having life. You know what it means to have an object. You know what it means to possess an object. But how do you possess a person? Some of you have Facebook, and you'll see someone on there that says... Uh, uh, your status is I'm in a relationship. And you know what that means. They're in a relationship. I'm in a relationship with Kelly. Or I'm in a relationship, you know, with this friend. We say that all the time. And you declare a certain kind of relationship. But it makes no sense to say I have a stranger. I'm in a relationship with a stranger because there's no relationship there. There's no definition for that. And so to have Jesus is to be in relationship with him. Maybe in this journey you ought to change your status right now. Those who are believers to say, I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. A relation defined by belief, trust, and obedience. John says, whoever has the Son has the life. And again, that's an interesting way to put it, especially in light of the words spoken by that president there years ago at Harvard saying, truth is only an aspiration and not a possession, but not according to John. When he says, whoever has the Son has life, he's using a word here that literally means to possess, to have ownership. And there's a difference between aspiring to something and possessing something. You may be aspiring to buy a new home. Many of you maybe are thinking about retirement. And maybe you're thinking, wouldn't it be great to have a house down in Florida or out in Arizona where the weather's better? Or maybe you like the cold weather and you're looking up into Michigan or wherever and you're on the MLS, you're on Zillow, you're surveying everything. What's the taxes like? And, and what's my way of life? And what do I want in a house? And, and you're thinking it over. You're investigating. You're pursuing and planning what life will be like. But you can't do anything about it until you possess it. And John is telling us here that life eternal is real life. And it isn't something that you put on an Amazon wish list. It's not something that you kind of hope for or hope it happens or you want it to take place or you wonder about. But life eternal is something you can have now. And I know in this fast-changing and frightening world with our foundation seeming to crumble beneath our feet where you can't rely upon anything in the news or on the internet, what can you know for certain? Well, this much is true, John says, and that is that eternal life is possible for you today. And it's found in Jesus because if you have a real relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, you can have the life. And you don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to wish for it or put it on a want list, but you can know for certain. In fact, John here wrote this letter for really a different purpose than the Gospels. Many people believe that John is the author of five New Testament books. 
not only here in 1 John, but 2 and 3 John, the book of Revelation, and also the gospel of John. And in John's gospel, as he comes to the end of chapter 20, you know that he gives you the purpose for the gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is why John writes the gospel, that you may believe. He wrote this letter so believers... So people who are seeking could come to know faith in Christ. And that gospel has been remarkable through the years and how God has used that in evangelistic ways to really share people the gospel truth. And so 1 John picks up where the gospel leaves off. And in fact, if you would put the gospel of John and then go right in to this first epistle of John, you find that they go back to back. They go hand in hand with one another and you discover that John has mapped out the entire journey of faith. According to John in the gospel there, your spiritual journey begins with hearing and understanding the life and the message of Christ. And the next step is believing, placing your belief, putting your trust in Christ. These first two steps are the very purpose of the gospel of John. And the next step in the leg of the journey is here living it out not just trusting Christ, but actually following Christ daily. And that's what this sermon series is all about. Knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And when you're actually living your faith day by day, it leads you into this final phase here of knowing. Because the Holy Spirit comes into your life and bears witness with your spirit. There's this transformation that occurs and all of a sudden you are living for Christ each and every day. And this is the spiritual journey. Hearing, believing, living it out, and knowing. And this is a roadmap. And your destination, my friends, is knowing. Having this assurance in your life that all is well. Because when you get to the knowing stage, you're no longer bogged down by fear. You're no longer questioning and scratching your head and wondering and worrying about life, but you're beginning right now to lead that life of assurance, that knowledge that gives you rest in your heart and produces joy that's abundant, gives you peace that passes all understanding. Let's say you're on a road trip and you are really fed up, really fed up with covid and all the winter we've been experiencing, and you've got cabin fever, and you say to your family, let's go on a road trip, and let's find a cabin in the mountains, maybe down the Smoky Mountains. Let's go down to Gatlinburg. Let's maybe check out Dollywood on the weekend, and let's just get away from it all. And so you get some directions. You've never been there before. You pile all the kids and yourself up in the car, and you're headed down the road down south, and you go for two or three hours or so, and then all of a sudden... The directions say to get off on this main road and you get off on the main road and you start driving. But you get out there and there's no signs and you realize that the main road sometimes is not so easy to follow and there are twists and there are turns. There's roundabouts. There's forks in the road. And before long, you're kind of looking at each other. Is this the right way? Is this really where I should be going? And all of a sudden, your spouse is upset and you're arguing with one another. Why don't you get better directions? Why don't you know where you're going? The kids are fighting in the back seat, and even the dog back there has gotten car sick. And suddenly, this time of going in the mountains that you were thinking about 
It's not a pleasant thought like it was just a few hours ago. And just then you come to another fork in the road, and lo and behold, there's a sign that says just three miles, the wishing well cabin. And you relax again, and you realize you're on the right road. And the kids start looking out the window again. Your, your dog is doing better. Your wife is smiling again. And everybody's looking forward to that week once more out in the mountains. And why is that? It's because you know you're on the right road. You know where you are. You know where you're going. You can relax and enjoy the journey because you know you have assurance that this is where you're going. And that's the kind of certainty here that John is speaking about here in the Bible. So many people are making their way through life really not knowing where they're going. Uh, they really don't have that firm assurance deep within their heart that they are right with God. And it makes for a very unfulfilling, a very unhappy and unsatisfactory journey, my friends. But when you know where you're going, it changes everything. Just ask Hazel Canoe. She encountered the Holy Spirit. God got a hold of her life, and she's going to share us with us here this morning her joint journey. Watch this video. Hello, my name is Hazel Canoe, and I've been attending faith for the past 18 years, and I've been told to share my salvation story. So um, I was um, born Anglican, and um, I was baptized, and also um, had my confirmation in high school, and then um, went on to um, finish my education. When I was done, um, I had this dream where I was in the dream, I felt God telling me that I was going to die the next week. And in that dream, which felt so real, I said, oh no, I'm not ready. Please give me some more time. And he's like, okay, I will. So then I started searching and I started going from church to church, just looking to, you know, find where I would um, actually feel that um, I had been saved. And then there was a friend of mine um, who was born again. And so she told me, she said, okay, I'm just going to lead you in the, um, um, lead you with this prayer. So she led me in the prayer, asking for the um, Holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, asking for um, um, to be born again, asking to be cleansed and everything. So basically at that point, as we're praying, um, we started um, I started crying, and the next thing I knew, I was speaking in tongues. And then I fell on the ground, and I was crying. And she was like, after a while, she said, like, get up, you know, you know, let's get going here. And I'm like, no, I'm telling God that I'm ready to go now, that he can take me now because I'm ready, as ready as ever. And um, it was like the Lord said at that point, well, if somebody had taken the person who led you, who would have led you now? It is time for you to go and tell and lead other people to Christ. And so that was that. That's the story of my salvation. I remember that day as if it was yesterday. And that was probably more than 30 years ago. So um, after, thereafter, after that, I was um, a new person. I felt really new. I had the joy of the Lord. And I was bold to um, talk to my friends about salvation, about Christ. 
I was um, more animated in studying the word um, and I just felt my life was new. I felt I had been given a new lease um, on, in life. So um, it was very exciting and I saw the positive ends and grace. I, I realized that it was just by grace that I achieved this and not by my own strength at all. It was just from wanting it and asking for it that this came, salvation came to me. so much, Hazel, for sharing. And I just wonder, how about you today? Have you been saved by faith? By the, it's by the grace of God, but have you firmly come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, we have people standing by today. If you just reach out through our texting service, the phone number that we've been sharing, and just say, hey, I'd like to have prayer with someone. We were love to just spend a few moments with you individually praying for you and I hope today that you have that assurance that Jesus Christ is your Savior. So will you join me in prayer? Almighty God we thank you so much for this time of worship today. We know these are challenging days this season in which we live with the pandemic and with all the things we see and hear and oh, how we need you. We need some assurance in life. We need that firm foundation to put our feet on and to get through life. For we know that life is in you. And to have the Son is to have the life. And so may your spirit be upon the hearts of people here today. May you come with your convicting power upon souls May the scales fall from people's eyes and may they welcome you into their heart and life. Give us assurance. Come quickly to those who are facing doubt today and instill within them those words of peace and certainty that all is well. Hear our prayer today, we pray, Almighty God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>